Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hi, all you BTK fans. It's Scott here, and we are continuing our series on leadership opportunities outside of clinical medicine. And very pleased to welcome back a returning guest and a mentor of mine, Dr. Connor Delaney, who's the Chief Executive Officer and President of Cleveland Clinic, Florida. Connor, welcome back to Behind the Knife. Scott, it's great to be back. So did you ever think that a young kid from Dublin, Ireland, would grow up and oversee a, a, a hospital system as big as five different hospital systems, state-of-the-art research, you name it? How, how did that journey become? Uh, it's funny. Um, actually, it's even funnier when I think back, actually, because in 1988, as a medical student, I visited Cleveland Clinic for eight weeks and spent six weeks in Cleveland and two weeks in Florida when the Florida hospital was literally just starting, never thinking I'd be back. So it's funny the way things work out. So I think it happened because of two things. First, my research evolved from basic science into clinical research around laparoscopy and fast track care, which became advanced recovery. And second, um, I had the chance to um, build groups and build teams and realized that building teams and bringing people together, helping them function was was something that was important. And so those two things aligned really because the uh, clinical operations is critical. Hospitals are always under increasing pr- pressure to perform and manage finances and be viable. And you can't do it without the right team. So they kind of fit well together and that evolved into building a group in the time of case and then coming back to the clinic and running digestive disease and surgery and working with you and a lot of other people. And then this, so it's been a, it's certainly been an interesting series of bridges and pathways and uh, not one I would have predicted 20 years ago, that's for sure. So kind of, you've had, a, as you said, a lot of different uh, positions from you know, section chief, division chief, department chair, institute chair, but that's a big step up to all of a sudden be essentially running a major hospital system. And so we've had other people on that have talked about, you know, some of the um, different leadership aspects at different stages in their career. And we want to focus on kind of the larger aspect that you hold right now. So how, how do you even settle into that chair? What was that like? And when you look at it and you have people that want to maybe cross over a little bit to that more administrative and more strategic side, you know, what advice would you give them? So a couple of things. First, it's it's always about bringing people together and then looking after people in as best as you can. Uh, it's about listening um, because usually people have very good ideas and you try and bring the best of those together and do things. Uh, and there are, I think, probably two of the most important leadership skills, uh, allowing others to talk and listening to them, etc. The journey, though, is a little different. It's so variable for so many people you see in leadership roles. I don't think there's any one path or a right path. So personally, I think some of the really important things are to give yourself exposure to a lot of different things. So I did basic science, obviously, on the way through on a master's and a PhD. That's not directly relevant, but it is a good uh, learning lesson in just detailed analysis of data and management of data and decision making. Um, I, I think surgery, I, I guess clinical medicine, but you and I as colorectal surgeons are probably biased towards colorectal surgery, but I think major surgery is a really good leadership skill 
um, as well as managing a team every day in the operating room. You're making decisions, multiple decisions, every case, some of them very major. So you pick that up. And then I think you expose yourself to committees, you expose yourself to other groups around quality and you pick up all of these skills and then you you say yes a lot. Um, you say yes to opportunities to learn different things and you put them all together and obviously the right doors have to open but if you've given yourself a broad enough portfolio of skills um, and you present yourself in the right way sometimes it works out it doesn't mean you get everything that you go for um, but you know if the right opportunity comes along and you have built the right set of skills and present it in the right way and, and work well enough with the team you're going to join um, it can happen so Connor, one of the things that I don't think medicine does a very good job at is learning the operational or the business aspects of medicine. And that's, I'm imagining, very critical in the position that you hold right now. So, you know, when other people are thinking about their pathway, maybe, you know, considering this, you know, what role does book learning play? What role does on the job? Do you have to go get an MBA? Do you have to do that? I mean, what advice would you give there? Yes. So the business side of it is really important. And you're right. We don't we don't put enough structure into it. And I, I think increasingly people in leadership roles need to know how to manage the business side of it as well. Because, you know, it's 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 not about publishing a few more papers. It's about being able to manage it well enough so your team can function, whatever level you're at. So the question is how do you pick that up? Or your question was how do you pick that up? I think I was lucky in that when I started doing laparoscopy and enhanced recovery and we started getting into length of stay, now we quickly got into cost assessment, managing cost, looking at, you know, reimbursement versus expenses. So very early got into that management of operations side, uh, understanding of cost structure, and that becomes critical. Then, you know, building the team at case and then coming back. And I, I think in particularly good position, certainly for the one I'm in now as a learning lesson was running digestive disease and surgery. I mean, that was a really big shop. We had, what, 250 attendings approximately in Ohio, multiple service lines, everything from transplant to endoscopy to outpatient clinical operations. And so that gives you a really big portfolio. And certainly without that, I could never have transitioned into what I'm doing now. But I think that on the background of the operational clinical side managing quality was enough was it a step up yes and uh, there's certainly a lot more uh, there's more on the legal side there's more on the hospital operations side there's more on the hr side and um, at a scale that was very different to you know to having and uh, 250 docs and residents and research so all, all of those things get scaled up but I, I certainly like to think it was a, a good way to come into it. And I was lucky enough to, to get exposed to a lot of great people, learn a lot from them and pick up a lot of skills. To the question about whether you need an MBA, I don't think so. Um, I think it can certainly accelerate the learning that you need, but it's absolutely not a requirement. And so, you know, that may come depending on the stage of your career you do it and the opportunities you get. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Of course, you can pick up a lot of skills with it, but is it is it mandatory? Absolutely not. Kind of one of the more difficult things, or maybe something that we don't do a lot, especially in when we are at different levels or different stages in our career, and we have a lot of trainees that listen to this podcast, is thinking strategically. 
that, that, that's a different way of thinking. That's a different way of approaching things. And obviously where you're at right now, I mean, that's, that's a large part of kind of what you're doing. How, how do you learn that skill set? Is it just something that just, it's, it's in there and it just comes out of you or how are you, how are you developing that? How are you learning that? And do you ever look back and say, oh God, I wish, you know, maybe I would have done that a little bit different. Obviously a lot of us have done that, but how do you approach all those things? Well, I think often you, you think of things that you could have done better or differently or, you know, helped others do better or differently. So I think you think you have to think about managing the business first, you know, the people, the teams, you know, around first. I always think of quality always comes first. You got to manage the quality first. Team is second. Uh, not that it's second in any way, but if you don't have the right team, you can't have the quality, et cetera. But you got to focus on quality first. So it's quality team, operations, and growth. Operations, if you have the, if you're focusing on quality, you have the right team, then you start to manage clinical or hospital or whatever it is, or all of the above operations as well as you can. And once you have that sustainable and functioning, you think about growth and that's kind of where the strategy comes in. Now you can't only concentrate on the top three. You can't wait until the top three are perfect before you're thinking about strategy and development of whether it's a growth opportunity or a new service line or something else. And so, um, you know, I was, I guess, lucky enough to get exposed to that in the beginning with laparoscopy because that was different. It was a kind of growth, specialty growth area within, with fast track and enhanced recovery because no one else was doing it until Tony Senegor and I did it initially in the U.S. Um, and then later on, with building service lines, right, with, with them thinking, what would we do with intestinal transplant? What would we do with fetal surgery? And these things that weren't necessarily being done, but you realize they complete the portfolio of services that you need to offer. And then you kind of get to the next level and you realize that you've got to pick the services for the right geographic area or scale of hospital or size. So you start to taper services for different geographies. And then coming to Florida, you know, it's, it's the same again, repeated just in a different geography with different scales of hospitals and, and different mixes of people. Your strategy, it's not that you don't think about it or that you don't plan it, but how you execute it often depends on how well you're doing the first three, the quality team operations. So you can often know what you want to do strategically, um, but you just can't necessarily execute because the finances aren't right or the capital's not right or something else, but you can't forget about it. It's a really good point. You know, one of the things that surgeons often are is they like to have control a lot of things. You're in the operating room, you want to have complete control of the situation, everything. But as a, as a part of that, you rely upon yourself and your own skill set. But at your level, you really have to take on that opportunity to delegate. H how do you know what you need to manage yourself and what you need to delegate on down to your team? I'm not sure there's a, ever a perfect answer. For a start, I'm sure most people's teams think they do too much in the team, um, and often their peers or superiors would think they don't manage it well enough. And maybe that's a good space to be in, right? When people uh, are thinking you're managing them too much, you don't think you are. I, personally, I think the important thing is having some flexibility in how you do that. And certainly at the beginning, whether you have somebody new joining the team, or whether it's a new team that you're joining, or whether it's something new your team are going to accomplish. I think you lean in a little bit more into the operational side, listening, learning, coaching, suggesting. And as things are going, you can lean out a little bit more and start to have more of that 10,000 foot view. Um, but 
I would always try and manage that reasonably flexibly depending on how a group is doing. Kind of when you're thinking about bigger, broader type organizational structure of which you've had an ability to lead, um, you know, one of the things is people oftentimes get asked for a vision. Leaders need to come up with a vision and support those around them and grow through it. You know, that, that makes for a great PowerPoint. It makes for good things. But when you're thinking about developing a vision, what does that mean to you? And, and how do you really go about doing that? I think it obviously it depends on the what you're trying to develop a vision for, whether it's a research portfolio or whether it's building a hospital or whether it's a strategic plan for a region or a department of colorectal surgery. How do you go about doing it? Um, I, I'd probably go back to um, what I started with it is listening to people and you talk to the people on the team you see what they know you bring it together you distill the information you use that as a foundation maybe for something going forward then depending on the group you're with or the company or hospital or academic setting you work for if there's a strategic team you bring them in and you get their perspective and insight and sometimes they can give you a whole different line of sight of something you may not have thought about. So getting those outside perspectives in, once you have some foundation is very, very important. And then you kind of build it incrementally. Um, and then once you understand what you think you want to do, you do analytics behind it to put data behind it to make sure it's actually realistic. So, you know, you could have a, a vision to acquire more GI groups or recruit more people or or acquire hospitals, but unless you know the data behind it, down to levels of detail of people and finances, et cetera, and what you're going to have to invest, you know, you can't come up with a plan that's good enough to execute. But you try and put all of those things together and you come up with a, a vision and a plan and a timeline. And then once you do that, you treat it very much as a living document because often it changes, right? Six months or a year later, it may be different based on circumstances. So, but it becomes a foundation and for what you do. Um, and then COVID happens and it changes it. Or a labor crisis happens and it changes it or at least changes the pace of it. So, you, you know, you have to be able to modify it then once you have it. But it becomes a good foundation often for next steps, knowing that any plan has changed in battle. Sometimes it's hard to jump into uh, putting your name into a selection committee because, you know, you might not get it. And many people uh, have lived their whole lives and kind of gotten every job they've ever wanted to. And I remember you once said to me that you learn a lot from the journey. Can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, just the, the advantages, if you will, of just kind of going for a job, even when maybe it's not the right perfect time or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, so I'd say, at first, I think it's something you need to think carefully about before you do it, because if you're going to do it properly, it always takes a whole lot more energy than you expect. It really does. It takes a lot of data analysis, emotional investment, time, meeting people, talking to people, interviewing, you know, pressure in those those situations. Um, but I think it brings great value. I think you learn a lot from the entire process and from the work you have to do to prep, uh, from the conversations you have people have with people um, on the journey, as you put it, or, uh, you know, as part of the interview process. And then whether you get something or you don't get something, you learn at the end, come away with things and that you've learned about yourself, about the position, about something else that you might go for in the future. It's almost like a high intensity 360. 
to a certain extent, right? You're you're getting you you learn about yourself during the process. So so yeah, I think it's it's obviously a, a significant investment of time and energy, um, but I, I certainly think it's worthwhile. What has surprised you about the job? I'm not sure anything really has hugely surprised me. Probably the complexity of it. It was even more complex than I expected. Um, I'll tell you one other thing that hasn't surprised me, um, but certainly has been more significant than I expected. And that is just the unexpected, very major changes you have that will come along frequently, daily, and other things. Well, well, you know, major things will happen. Whether it's a vaccine and all that, which is a whole lot more complex than it sounds, I can assure you. And whether it's the labor and staffing crisis, which has been critically complex for almost every hospital in the U.S., if not every hospital in the U.S. So there's, you know, some very major things that happen. Um, but honestly, that's been part of the fun part of the challenge, that if you can't help try and manage this for your team initially, um, and then for the hospital and ultimately the community you're serving, you're not going to do so well. So it just... It reinforces the importance of what we all do in healthcare, and you feel honored to be able to contribute to it. And there may be many things, but what do you what do you really enjoy about the position? I think what we can accomplish as a team, which is no different from what I enjoyed, you know, whether I was starting out as a colorectal surgeon or whether it was when we were working together in DDSI or a case, you know, I I just love that what we end up being able to do for people and. What I've been, I don't know if lucky enough is the word, but certainly what I've had the chance to experience is almost a different portfolio of things I can contribute to try and help. In the beginning, it was the clinical practice and the research. Then it was building a team and thinking about quality for a group. And now it's it's uh, obviously a lot of different things. It's all of those and, and a little bit more. What I love about it most is the people and the team and what you can do. And the hardest part of it is the, the difficulty you have to do sometimes. Um, and you have to work with people as you get through those. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think most of these things are about the people, the people you're working with and the people you're helping. And finally, as we wrap up here, uh, words of advice for people who are listening to this and they've are thinking about kind of making that jump, making a transition. What would you say to them? It's absolutely worthwhile. And make sure you pick up skills on the way and for two reasons. One is if you uh, apply for a position, you don't have the right skill set, it won't work out so well. But second is you really want to have a fairly broad portfolio as, as you move into leadership positions. So you've got to pick up those skills on the way, whatever level that leadership position is at. And then, um, you know, I think just do it, push yourself. These are exciting things to do. And it's exciting to evolve first your career, but second, how you can contribute to and help others accomplish things. And those things certainly have meant a lot to me and I've, I've been lucky enough to do it a little bit. So I, they'd be my suggestions. Well, great words of advice and congratulations on all your successes. And we appreciate the opportunity for you joining us again here on Behind the Knife. Scout, thanks a million. Absolute pleasure as always. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. 
Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day. Dominate the day.